Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. This morning we continue on with our study in the book of Ephesians. Now we haven't gone too far, and we're not in a hurry, we're taking our time. We don't really care how long it's going to take. We're just going to take it one step at a time and really let God deal with us in this book. It's a precious book. It's a beautiful book. And I believe that God is going to do a special work within our lives as we open up our hearts to what is in this book and the message that is in this book. This morning, I want to read to you from verses 3 to verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 1. We're only going to be covering this morning verse 3, and that's it. We're not going to go beyond that. But we're breaking it up in sections. Here in, in verse 3 to verse 6, we find that it is a section that is dealing as far as the, the Father. We find the Father in this section. And then after that, you find the Son. And then you're also able to find the Holy Spirit from verse 3 to verse 14, you find the eternal God, his plan, divine plan for his church. And I like to read in verses 3 to 6, and I want you to follow with me this morning. If you want to take some notes, you should have your pencils and papers and be ready to take notes if you desire to take notes. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Father, we thank you for your divine presence in this service this morning. We thank you for the work that you wrought in the lives of people in our first service and how you stirred the hearts of your people. And then once again, Lord, in this service, I pray that your will may be manifested in each one of our lives and that we will be open to receive what you have for us. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need your love. We need everything that you have for your people. And this morning, you know each one of us individually. You know our needs. You know our hurts. You know our wants. You know everything about us. And as I speak, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be able to move upon the lives of each one individually meeting their needs and speaking to each one in a special way that we may walk out of this place and say truly we've been in the presence of God. Continue to bless this church, continue to bless this ministry for we see your hand upon it. For you have been faithful and you're a faithful God. And Lord we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we give you the honor for we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. 
This morning, we find in the book of Ephesians, and we've been, I gave you an introduction a few Sundays ago concerning this book. And here we find in these verses, we find the eternal plan of God for his church. God had an eternal plan. Paul brings out that the church is not an afterthought of God. Paul brings out the importance of what the church really is, that the church is much more than an organization. It is, it is an organism. It is a body that has been established by God himself. And it wasn't something that he just thought about, but it was something that was well planned. It was planned in the Godhead. And years ago, the Apostle Paul brings out years ago, God in his infinite mind had a plan in forming the church and making it what it is today. So as we take a look in these verses, we find that the church is very, very important. We, you and I, are very, very important in the sight of God. You are somebody in God. Now you notice what I said. I say you're not somebody just by yourself. In ourselves, we can't do nothing. But we are somebody in God. When we're plugged into God, when we put our confidence in God, when we put our trust in God, we're somebody. And in this book, Paul brings out who you are. We should know who we are. Many times we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know the privileges that we have in God. And then also, Paul brings out how rich you are. And we're very, very wealthy. Spiritually speaking, we're very, very wealthy. We are very rich in God. And some don't act as, we're not acting and behaving like a rich person should. But we are very, very wealthy, and this is what Paul brings out, the tremendous wealth that we have in Jesus Christ. And then also, and this is the important part, he teaches us and he brings out how we could tap into the resources that we have in God. In other words, how you could make a check out in the heavenly account that you have in the bank of God. Make out a check and cash in on the treasures and the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the richest and most overwhelming passages in the Bible is the discussion of Paul in this passage of blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And there was preachers like John Calvin that made mention that this, these passages are intended to arouse the believer's heart to gratitude and to set them aflame and fill them with overflowing. This is what it should do to you and I this morning as we take a look in these passages and we take a look at the blessings of God and what God has for us. It should arouse our hearts with a sense of gratitude to God for all that he has done for us, and it should set our hearts on flame. Now the Apostle Paul, the writer of this epistle, was a childless, landless, homeless man who knew little of the material blessings because of his imprisonment. But in regard to the spiritual, he had boundless wealth, and because of this, he had a heart full of gratitude and praise. You see, the Apostle Paul, 
He didn't have much of the material wealth because his life was dedicated to God and he was in imprisonment. In fact, when he wrote this epistle, he was in prison. He called himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a, a, a man in bonds, but he was, he, was, he, he was in the bonds of Jesus Christ. And even though he didn't have material wealth, yet he had a fantastic and a, a tremendous spiritual wealth that this man had. And most of all, you find that what came out of this man, the Apostle Paul, was tremendous gratitude and praise to God. If it would have been many of us, and we would be behind prison walls and prison because of the sake of the gospel, we'd be complaining. Some would have probably denied the Lord and turned their back on God. But here was a man that had a profound and tremendous experience with his master. That even locking him behind prison walls and chaining him to two different guards did not minimize his experience, but even made it stronger. And in these passages, we find that Paul brings out in verse 3 a description of the divine blessings that God has given unto us. The divine blessings of God. Now let's read it one more time in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Let's take a look at some of the aspects of these blessings. And I think that we should be very much interested in the blessings that Paul is bringing out here. Because if we lock into these blessings, it will totally revolutionize our lives. You know, there are some Christians that are not living to the fullness of their potential. There are Christians today that are just hanging on. This is their experience and hanging on. There are some even in this church that possibly you come from Sunday to Sunday, you're just hanging on. You're just fighting that old devil. You're just trying to make it. This is not the way God wants you to live. God wants you to know your place in him. He wants you to take your place as the son of God. He wants you to cash and begin to cash in on your inheritance. And when you snap to this, cuando se te prende el foco, Something tremendous will take place within your life. Your life will totally be revolutionized. And what does the Bible says? Resist the devil and he shall flee. You're able to stand your ground and resist him in the name of the Lord because you know who you are in Christ and he shall flee. Now the Apostle Paul knew exactly who he was. And man, he knew how to cash in on these blessings. And I think that this is what we need to do. We need to learn how to cash in on the blessings that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I want to cash in on every one of them that are for me. I want to take advantage of every blessing that God has for me. Not in the, in the by and by, but in the now. So Paul brings out a number of aspects concerning these blessings. First of all, in verse 3, he brings out, that the blessed one is God. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to have our priorities right. If we want to receive the blessings from God, 
It is very important for us to understand that before we receive the blessings from God, that the priority is for us, first of all, to bless Him. So Paul knew that, that we are to bless God first of all. Now, how do we bless God? Well, in blessing God, we speak good of God. You know that by by our negative speaking and negative confessions, we are totally doing the opposite of speaking good of God. Speaking good of God is saying how wonderful he is. As we gather together on a, on a Sunday morning like this, we shouldn't come just to gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, some people always gimme, 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 even in their prayers, gimme, 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 gimme. Oh, Lord, I need this. Oh, Lord, I need that. They have a big list of, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, this. oh, God, that. I think even before we begin to bring all the gimme, gimme, gimme's and all the help me, help me, help me, I think we should go to him and begin to praise his holy name. It's good to enter into the presence of God. Oh, Jesus, how wonderful you are. You are so precious. You are so beautiful. And you go into, oh, thank you, Jesus. If you were able to save me, oh, that love is... Uh, that love, I can't even explain it. Uh, that, that love is so deep. That love is so pure. And as you get, start getting into it and you start telling him how lovely he is, you begin to make love to Jesus. So in blessing him, this is what he wants. You know why he has separated us? You know why he made us? You know why he has saved us? So we praise him. He shares his glory with no one that we could glorify his name. And you better get used to it now. Because when we get into heaven, for eternity, it's just going to be an activity of praising glory to the Lamb of God that was slain. Blessed be the name of Jesus. So blessing him. And how do we bless him? We bless God by speaking good of him. Speaking good of God is bringing blessing to God. See, you really can't give him anything. The only thing you can give him is your life. That's what he wants. You can't give him anything else. He has everything. He has all the cattle on a thousand hills. This isn't anything that you could give him that he don't have. He owns everything. He has everything. He is the source of all blessing. So the only thing we could do in blessing him is to speak good of him. Speak good of him. And in the Bible, you find that the Bible, God is blessed from Genesis to Revelation, you find that God is blessed. Even from the very beginning in the Bible, you find God is blessed. Bless God, bless God, bless God, bless God, bless God. For instance, in Psalm 34, we find the psalmist praising him and blessing God. And he did it very well. The psalmist David, he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Not only when I'm feeling good. That's the problem with some. When you're feeling terrible, you don't want to praise God. You're grumbling and mumbling. When you pray, you don't even pray with your heart into it. You know, you just don't have any. It all goes. See, the immature Christian, the Christian that has not grown, the Christian that has not come into maturity is a Christian that only he's relying upon his emotionalism. He he leans upon his emotionalism, and when he feels good, he blesses God, and when he don't feel good, he doesn't bless God. And even some go even to an extreme of cursing God and blaming God. 
So the psalmist, what does he say? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Now, all times means all the time, and continually in my mouth means that you always have a good word to say about God. Continually. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And then he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. See, the psalmist knew how to get a hold of God. In fact, David knew how to get a hold of God. David was a very humble man. And if you want to get a hold of God, you must come to God in humility. If you ever come to God with a proud attitude, if you ever come to God real puffy and huffy, this is where you suddenly you find that God is so far away from you. But when you humble yourself, he that cometh to God must come into the broken and a contrite heart God will not reject. So coming to God, we must prepare ourselves and realize that we are the creature and he is the God and come to him with a humble attitude. And this is the kind of spirit and gratitude that Paul had. Now if ever there was a man that had a lot to be proud of in himself, it was the Apostle Paul. I think the Apostle Paul was more educated than most of us, if not all of us, that are in this church this morning. I mean, he had some heavy education. He had some heavy teaching. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee, and I gave you the whole list of the things that the Apostle Paul was. I mean, he could have really used his rank. He could have really used his titles if he wanted to. But he says, I count them all loss for the excellency of Jesus Christ. I am determined to know nothing else among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Apostle Paul, he came humble. He was humble before the presence of God. And because of this type of spirit of, of gratitude and appreciation, and he had a spirit of adoration, he had a spirit of worship, is why God was able to use him in such a powerful way. And even in spite of circumstances, we are to praise God. Even in spite of circumstances, we are to bless God. Now, there are some of you here this morning the circumstances may not be ideal for you this morning. You may be going through some situations that are very unfavorable. But nevertheless, I want you to know this morning that God is still God. Nevertheless, I want you to know this morning that God still loves you. That God is still on the throne. That God still has power to save unto the uttermost. And he has power to keep. In spite of what you're going through, God still expects you to bless him and to praise him and to worship him. That's why it says in James, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. You know what it means, count it all joy? Bless him anyhow. Not fall means not when you, when you yield to them, but when you're surrounded. It's like all of a sudden you're surrounded with all kinds of diverse temptations and tribulations. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That whatever is happening in your life this morning, whatever situation you're going through, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, give God the praise and give God the glory and bless him anyhow because the end of it is going to be good. If you put your trust in him, it will all work out just fine. 
If you put your trust in God. Just like that song that we sing, and we love it so much from the choir ministers, in everything, give him thanks. You ever listen to the words of that song? In the good times, praise his name. You know, good times. Oh, good times. You say, yeah, praise God, good times. Everybody's able to praise his name in the good times. Then in the bad times, it says, do the same. Also, when the going is not as good, when the time is not as good, even in the bad times, the Bible tells us, praise his name. Let everything that has breath, praise ye the Lord. So we give him thanks in the good time. We give him thanks in the bad times. We bless the name of Jesus. The blessed one is God, and he should be the object of our praise. I think it's so very important for us to understand that. And somehow I hope that this book helps us that when we gather together on Sunday morning, we take all our cares and all our worries and put them aside and say, I'm coming in to bless the name of Jesus. I'm coming in here to say, Jesus, I love you. And you get into a romance, which you get into a love affair with Jesus Christ when you come on Sunday morning. So this is what Paul, this is the attitude that Paul had. So he brings, first of all, that the blessed one, first of all, is God. He is the one that we should bless. Then secondly, he also brings out that God is the blesser. We are to bless him, first of all. But then as we bless him, automatically he blesses us. Listen to what he says. Bless be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he deserves, deserves all the blessing. He deserves all the praise. And then he says, who hath blessed us? Meaning that he is to be blessed, and at the same time, God is also the blesser. Who hath blessed us? In other words, he is the one that brings blessings to our lives. Where do you think all the blessings come from? I'll tell you right now, and I'll declare to you right now, it doesn't come from Chamuku. <laughs> the blessings don't come from Big Red. Every blessing that you have, and I think sometimes we need to start counting our blessings. We look at all the negative, we should start counting our blessings and look at the blessings that God has given unto you. And every blessed thing, every good thing, Paul says, comes from God. It is God that brings blessing to us. Listen, James again says in 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You see, the blessings that he gives you, he don't take them back. He's not one of those givers that here and as long as you're around, I'll pull them back. He said he blesses and he don't change. We're the one that changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes now. We are the ones that change. We are the ones that are emotional. We are the ones that are up one day and down the next day. He is the same. He is someone that we could lean upon. He is someone that we could have confidence in. So every gift and every blessing comes from above. And he blesses us. Now who are the us that he's blessing? There may be some of you that may not have been included in this us. When Paul talks about us, he's not talking about the unconverted. 
See, God is not obligated to bless the unconverted. Even though in a sense they receive blessings because the, shine, the sun shines on the good as well as on the bad. Like when you step out and the sun is shining a beautiful day, well, you say, isn't it a beautiful day? Well, the sinner is out there saying, hey, it's a beautiful day. You know, the sun is shining on him as well. But there's a select group of people that God has given special blessings to and promises that he has made to this select group of people. And those are the people, the us that the Apostle Paul is talking about, are those that have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ that have been born again. See, if you don't have an experience with the Lord this morning, you don't have any right to any of the promises that are recorded in the Word of God. You know, you're not even a child of God yet. The only way you could have a right, for instance, if, if I'm going to give an inheritance, I'm going to give an inheritance to my family, and it goes down to my family members, and the reason why they have a right to my inheritance is because they're part of the family. But if you're not part of the family, you have no part with the inheritance that is recorded here in the Word of God. So the Apostle Paul is speaking to those that have the same like faith as you and I that have been born again and we've been made part of the family of God. We are blessed. Now, there's a difference between the way we bless God and the way he blesses us. You know how we bless God? I said by speaking good of him, right? We bless him by a lot of, uh, in a verbal way, and not only in a verbal way, but we also bless him with our actions, by the way that we live our lives, and we live a good life and good conversation, we bring blessing to God. But you know how he blesses us? He blesses us with action, and he blesses us, and he moves on our behalf with deeds. When he blesses, he blesses. I mean, we give him a little teaspoon of blessing to him and he takes a big shovel of blessing and return to us that's the way that he brings blessings to his children you cannot compare the way that we praise him and he blesses us I mean he blesses us in a tremendous powerful in a different proportion than the way that we bless him so the apostle Paul is saying he is the blesser and in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good for them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good to those that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. You hear the promises? All things work together for good. Do you know something that if you're in the spirit, and if you live a life in the spirit, everything will work out for good. Eventually, everything will fall in place. Do you know you don't have to worry about a thing? If you're living a life in the spirit, everything is going to fall in place. If you're going through a tribulation, even in the midst of tribulation, there'll be a joy that will be springing up in you that the world cannot even give you, something that you cannot even explain, that you'll be able to go through that tribulation and people will look at you and they'll be mind blower and say how come you're going through it and you're still able to smile you say I don't know but there's something inside of me that's unexplainable that has taken place with God you can't lose you're a winner when you're with God 
And then Paul goes on, not only does he mention that we are the recipients of his blessings, but then he also goes and he tells us that how much of a blessing he gives us. And he says, also, blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all, I like that word all, all spiritual blessings. And we must come to understand our spiritual resources. When he says all, we could be partakers of all. But you know that many of us are just partakers of a little? We haven't even tapped the resources of God. We haven't even tapped the resources that are available to us. That's why there's a lot of weak Christians around. That's why people come to church all bummed out and walk out all bummed out, because you haven't really tapped the resources. There are resources that are ours. God has given us. I mean, there are blessings. And when he talks about blessings that he's given us, he's talking about not just some, not just few, but he's talking about all. He has not withheld anything for his children. Now, Paul was a recipient of this all. Man, I tell you, this is enough to make you jump up and yell and holler. And do a handstand when you think of the tremendous blessings that God has given unto us. It should take you, those that are hang their heads low should be able to raise up their heads and give a loud hallelujah when we know the resources that are ours in Christ Jesus. But the problem is, is we don't understand it. We don't know sometimes the resources that are ours. And many times we don't know what we have in Christ. And Paul writing to the Philippians says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all. Uh, not some. Hear, hear me now. Paul says, what, what confidence he had. He's writing to the Philippians. And he says, but my God. He's boasting about his God. He's boasting about his Jesus. He's saying, but my God shall supply all your needs. You hear that? My God is able to do anything. Nothing is impossible for my God. His experience was so Tremendous. He says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the confidence that he had, that the Apostle Paul knew that he had resources in God. Now, the key is this, and now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. Where are these blessings? I'm sure that this is what you're asking in your mind. Okay, Brother Sonny, you're telling me about all these goodies, but where are they? Where are all these blessings that you're talking about? I've been looking for them and I can't find them. Now maybe you've been looking in the wrong places. That's why you haven't found those blessings that I've been talking about. Now the Apostle Paul tells us where they are at. He doesn't only talk about the blessings, but he tells us where they're at and where we could get them, where we could get a hold of them. But you know what he tells us? That the blessings are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The blessings are in the heavenlies. Now I'm sure that many of you are thinking when I say the blessings are in the heavenly, the first thing that comes to your mind, okay, you see, I knew it. Make it in through the pearly gates and we make it into heaven, then we have the blessings. I heard it, I mean, I heard, I know it and I see the promises and I've read them over and over again, but what about now? Well, I want to tell you that the Apostle Paul is not talking about the, 
the by and by. He's not talking about something in the future, but what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And this is what makes it interesting. He's talking about the now. He's not talking about that you will cash in on those blessings when you get into heaven and when you die. He's talking about now that you could cash in on those blessings right now. And he tells us these blessings are in the heavenlies. Now, this expression, the heavenlies, occurs about five times in Ephesians. First of all, you find it in chapter 1, verse 20, and it says, It is the place where the risen Christ has been exalted and enthroned. So, when we talk about the heavenlies, the risen Christ is in the heavenlies. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul brings out that it's the region where believers have been lifted in fellowship with Christ. You hear that? Now, Christ is in the heavenlies, but Paul also brings out in verse 6 that it's also the region where the believers have been lifted up in fellowship with Christ. That means that you and I are also in the heavenlies. We have access into the heavenlies. In chapter 3 and verse 10, it is where the principalities and power learn of the wisdom of God. In chapter 6 and verse 12, it is the spiritual battleground where the believer confronts the forces of wickedness. So any blessings, any victory that we're going to win within the spirit must be won, not in the earthly, but it's going to take place in the heavenlies. And we should understand that region, and we should understand that God has lifted us into that place, into the heavenlies. Now the phrase heavenly places refers not to a physical locality, but a realm or a region where the believer has been lifted in Christ. Not the heaven of the future, but the heaven that lies within and around the Christian here and now. Now the believer belongs to two worlds, and this is what I want you to understand. We are part of two worlds. You are citizens of two worlds, two countries. First of all, we're a citizen of the United States, right? Now some people get saved and they get so mystical, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. That because they're not raptured, they want to rapture themselves. You ever see them? You want to talk to them about something, they're always coming to you, oh, praise God, brother. You know, they give you those funny looking eyes, you know, all the time. Always up in heaven somewhere, in the clouds somewhere. You can't communicate with people like that. You can't communicate with those people. And they think they're super spiritual. Now, it is true we're in the heavenlies, and that's what God wants us to be in the heavenlies, and we are there. But at the same time, we're still on the earth. <laughs> I mean, we're still walking down here, you know, we're still here, bodily, we're still here. So we, are, we belong to two worlds. We belong to the earth, and also spiritually, our lives is linked with Christ in the heavenly realm. We're here, but we're not here. We're here, but we're there also at the same time. And Philippians 3.20 says, we are citizens of heaven. Now listen, as a citizen of the United States, I don't know how many of you have gone to Europe, but uh, if they're going to mess around with you, one of those places, you say, I'm a citizen of the United States, man. I'll get Reagan after you. <laughs> and if you mess around, throw a missile out here, too. So don't mess with me, man. I'm a citizen of the United States. You know, you have all the, the rights and the privileges as a citizen of the United States, a citizen of America. 
because you have a passport that tells you that you're a citizen of America. Well, the same way, we're a citizen of heaven. And in Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means that our conversation, we should talk, our conversation should be a little bit more heavenly. And when, if our conversation is more heavenly, that means that our conversation is more in the supernatural than the natural. That means what's impossible with man is possible with the Christian. What's impossible with the unbeliever is possible with the believer. When everybody else says it can't be done, the believer is able to stand up. And that's why we're peculiar people, because you say it could be done. They say, well, how do you say that? Well, it could be done because I am here, but I am not here. I am, the he I am in the heavenly realm, and I have Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he is able to bring forth the impossible. And because my life is linked with him, and because my faith is in him, all things are possible. That's the difference between somebody that knows their place and knows their inheritance and knows the resources that they have and somebody that doesn't. Ephesians 2.6 tells us that when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit will produce all that you need. You hear that? The Spirit will produce all that you need. Colossians 3.1 and 2 says, If ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. We are citizens of heaven. Our life is in the supernatural, and we must learn to trust and tap into the resources of God. Now I'll share this with you this morning. I, this should be enough to make you shout hallelujah and praise the Lord if God gives you the revelation of it. Now you're hearing me, and you're hearing me with your physical ears, but I wonder how many of you are hearing me with your spiritual ears. You know what God wants you to be? God doesn't want you to be just a normal person. God wants to bring you into the realm of the supernatural. You know the problem with many of us? That we've been used to living in the natural for so long. You don't do anything that causes God to act in a supernatural way. In other words, you don't ever challenge God. You never act or take a step of faith where God has to move in your behalf. And as long as you operate and walk in the natural, then there's no need for God to act in behalf or move in your behalf. Because you do it all yourself. See, as long as you could do it yourself, there isn't any need for God to act and for God to intervene. You know who God intervenes? God intervenes when those children of God begin to trust God and launch out and step out by faith and trusting the promises that are recorded in the Word of God. God loves it, and that's when God moves. You know that that's exactly what he was trying to teach the disciples? Many of you remember what's recorded in John 6. I, I, I shared it a number of times about the five loaves and two fishes. Remember that? Remember about the five loaves? Jesus was having a big meeting, about 20,000 people. Imagine a meeting of 20,000 people. And then it was getting late. The disciples said, send them because, you know, we don't, you know, they're getting hungry. You better send them. We're going to have a ride on our hands. And then Jesus turned around and told Philip, 
Listen, I'm not sending them anywhere. These people are hungry to hear the word. I'm going to give them the word. And he looks to Philip and he says, how much money do we have that we could give them to eat? Go buy some food that everybody may eat. Now, he gave Philip a problem. And there was a problem that needed to be solved. He gave Philip a tremendous responsibility to do something that was totally impossible. But you know what the Bible says? He says, the Bible says, but all along, Jesus knew what he would do. He told Philip, we have an impossible case. I want you to feed this multitude of people. How much money do we have in the treasury? An impossible situation. But all along, the Bible says, all along he knew what he would do, and he did it for a reason. Philip, what did he do? He did what everybody does. He did the natural. He went over to the treasure. He went over to Judas. How much bread we got, Judas? How much money we got? And then Judas came on account of the money that he had. He came back, and then Philip said, it is impossible. It can't be done. All we have is this, and we'll never be able to feed this multitude of people. It's impossible. Now, you see, he not once, not for a moment, did he take Jesus into account. Not for a moment did he understand and realize that if Jesus said to feed that multitude, then even though in the natural it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now he should have come back. He would have passed the test if he would have come back and said, Jesus, in the natural I want to tell you that it's impossible. And we only have so much money. So with this money in the natural now, it's impossible to feed this multitude. But Jesus, you could do it anyhow. So you go ahead and go to work. If he would have did that, he would have passed the test because then he would have been putting his reliance and his trust in God. But what did he do? He came back with a negative report. No, there's no way it's impossible. Then Andrew came. Andrew also said it's impossible. And then Jesus went ahead and took a little lad and took the two lo five loaves and two fishes and he went ahead and performed the miraculous. He went ahead and he did the impossible right before their very own eyes. And then after that, they still didn't believe, and they were still grumbling, they were still full of unbelief, and he was depressing the Lord, or was, he was quenching the spirit that he was having, having a good meeting, and these guys are quenching the spirit, so he said, I'm going to get rid of them. And he said, he went ahead, and instead of dismissing the multitude, he dismissed his disciples, he said, get into the ship, and I'll see you on the other side. And what did he do? He didn't finish with them. See, he was discipling them, he was stretching them. And he sent them in a ship, and in the middle of the, of the sea, he... He had a storm come their way. And he put him right in the middle, dropped him right in the middle of a storm. Okay, you didn't pass the test now. Now I'm going to give you even a harder test. And he put him right in the middle of a storm. And I, what, what about now? Yeah, what, how are you going to react? And they were over there all shook up in the middle of a storm. And what happens? Jesus comes walking on the water in the middle of the storm. Once again, proving to them that he is above the circumstances, and he is a God of miracles, and nothing is impossible with God. And they looked at him and said, I can't believe it. Here they are dying, they're gonna, that they're going to die, crying out, and Jesus has everything under control, walking real cool on top of the water. Then Peter was the aggressive one, you remember that? And then Peter looked at him and said, could I do it the same? Could I jump over there and walk on the water? He says, man, that's what I've been waiting for. Come on. Peter jumped on the water, began to walk for a little while. But what happened? After a while, he began to sink. Oh, God, help me. And then he had to pick him up. Oh, ye of little faith, and pick him up and save him. Those were the great disciples of faith and power. 
the great disciples that were to spread the gospel to the entire world. What happened? They were in the hands of a discipler. They were in the hands of Jesus who was stretching their faith and was working a work in them that by the time he finished, they would become the men of God that God wanted them to be. And what about you and I? Do you think that for one minute, he doesn't work with us? You know what he's doing with our congregation? He don't permit our congregation to get lazy. With, uh, somehow with us, he keeps us all the time. He keeps us stepping out by faith. And what he's doing with each one of us, he's working the same way that he's worked with the disciples. What he wants to do with you, he wants to get you to that place that you will trust him for your blessings. He wants to get you to that place where you stop relying on yourself and begin to believe that he is a supernatural God and you begin to act like a child of the king. Some of you, you've been baptized in lemon juice, man. Instead of baptizing the Holy Ghost, instead of having that joy and having that radiance that is within your face. You need a miracle. You need to come into a miraculous God and be elevated into the heavenly places and know your place in Jesus Christ. And when that begins to happen, it ignites an excitement inside of you and you know that all things are possible with God and nothing is impossible for him. This is why sometimes God cannot use a congregation of all Christians that have been used to just doing their own way and doing their own thing. And he's able to go and raise up a bunch of ex-cholos and ex-cholas and use them in a tremendous way. My mind, I stay amazed at that congregation in, in San Jose. Those are cholitos y cholitas. But you know what? I mean, that pastor preaches and he just about throws the pulpit at them. That pastor gets up and tells them about a God that is a powerful God. And those kids, they don't know anything else. They just got saved from the streets. And the God that they know is the God of the miraculous. That's the God that they know, the God of the miraculous, the God of the supernatural. And because of that, they act on it. And as they act on it, God is able to perform the miraculous and he's able to perform the miracles. You know why a lot of churches today are not making an impact in, this, in their society? There's a lot of churches. You could call them traditional churches. They're very proper and they're very formal. They have all the talent. Pero no se mueve ni una mosca. I don't know how to interpret that in English. Not even a fly is moved. Why? Because it's a routine. I mean, you come to church, you know exactly what's going to happen. How sad it is to come to church and know exactly everything that's going to happen. You're not expecting something supernatural to take place. And listen, when you're in the realm of the heavenlies and when you're flowing the realms of the heavenly, we, sh we will witness over and over again the miraculous will take place, the supernatural will take place because God is moving by his power. So this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do is stir you up. Now let me just share something with you. If you desire to come into the, spirit, the spiritual realm, there are three things that you must do. And I want to bring this out real quickly. Number one, we should begin to learn to think supernaturally. I got to do that all the time. 
every time I look at this property, and then I look at our, you know, what's coming in, and I go, oh, God, I never make it. Then I say, man, I slap my sword and I'm praise God. Go into the Word of God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And, and I start getting a hold of the Word of God, get a hold of the promises of God. And then I put my chest down and said, Praise God, we could do it. And I start thinking, it can be done. It's going to be done. It will be done. Because we need to think supernaturally. And Thinking supernaturally, in Proverbs 23, it's 7, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. See, if you think negative, 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 you'll become a negative person. If you begin to think in a negative with doubt, you'll become a doubting person, and you'll become a f person that'll be void of faith. You hear me? That's why you see some people that have faith, some don't, don't have. It's all up here in their thinking. One is thinking we could do it. The other one is thinking we can't do it. And as you begin to think that, whatever you think, that's what you're going to become. So this is why it's very important to begin to saturate your mind with the Word of God. It's not mind over matter, but getting the Word of God and begin to think according to the Word of God. And then we become what we think. And then we begin to change, we change our, our thought life by the saturation of, of our minds with God's Word. And following the word of God, in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, Seek those things which are above, and set your mind on these things from above. We need to do that. So we need to change our way of thinking. Think about who you are spiritually. No longer a stranger, but a son. No longer lost, but found. No longer alienated, but a citizen of the kingdom of God. Think like children of the king. When we begin to think those thoughts, our vision is stretched, and God wants to stretch you. Secondly, learn to plan supernaturally. When planning, go beyond the possible. You hear me? I'll say it again. Now, I'm not talking about presumption. I'm talking about when you're planning, if you're planning in the things of God, go beyond the possible. When you plan and go beyond the possible, then God will stretch you, and then God has to act in your behalf. And let me share this with you. And then also, uh, so you plan supernaturally. In other words, the goals of God are God-sized plans. The plans of God are God-sized plans. We need to plan God-sized and not man-sized. For example, God's goal to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's goal for Adam, Abraham was not just to have a son, but to start a nation and be the father of a nation. Jesus' goal for the disciples was to witness not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and the plan of Jesus was unto the uttermost parts of the world. So whenever you get locked in with the divine, whenever you get locked in with the things of God, you could rest assured that it's going to be big. And it's not big because you could do it by yourself, but it's big because he is a big God. And whenever you place yourself in his hands, everything is possible. And then... Thirdly, learn to claim supernatural resources. And this is where we 
slack sometimes. This is where we fail. We need to claim the supernatural resources that are ours. We're not ordinary people. Our lives are joined to the one that spoke the world into existence. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And in conclusion, I want to share this with you. See what I'm trying to do? I think Paul is trying to do He's trying to ignite you. He's trying to set you aflame. He's trying to get you to that place of being a, 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 a normal Christian to be a peculiar Christian. To be, in the, instead of the natural, to go into the realm of the supernatural. Now, there are a lot of people in our church that I know for a fact, this is why God is having us go into Ephesians, that are not really living in the supernatural. Yeah, you say, hallelujah, glory to God but you're not really tapping into the supernatural. You know how I know? I'll tell you how I could tell. You know, one of the ways that we could, we could gauge the faith that we have many times is through our finances. That's one way you could tell. You see, where, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart is in heaven, then your treasure is in heaven. If your heart is in the things of God, your treasure is going to be in the things of God. And do you know that in a congregation like ours, there's many people that have not even learned to take the first fundamental step in the life of faith within our church. Let me share with you something that is very, very heavy upon my heart. Let, let me share this with you. One of the things of a pastor is that we want to move our congregation up into higher ground. That's, that's every pastor that is a pastor that has a pastor's heart always wants to move our congregation to a higher ground. When I see that our people are slacking behind, when I see uncommitment from some of our people, when I see people lacking faith, I say, oh God, help us, oh God, that somehow we may believe and trust in the promises of God. Every pastor wants to see his congregation move on for God in faith and power. And especially in our church, if you don't know it by now, you have a pastor that has a vision. This is why we're planting churches all over the world. You have a pastor that this entire property, there's a vision and promises that God has given us. And in his time, it's going to take place. Everything that he's promised is going to be a big building later on. There's going to be a baseball field. All the things that need to be done in this property, it shall be done as we put our confidence and trust in God. But there are people that many times are lagging behind. And you know how you can tell by gauging them and their finances. Let me give you something that's shocking. We have a congregation of about close to 2,000 adults. We have about 1,800 adults that come every Sunday to our services, 1,800 adults. That's not including the kids. If we mention the kids, we have over 2,000, about 2,400, 2,500 people all together with the kids. So we've grown. But in this growing process, do you know who are the ones that support this work? There's only a nucleus of people that are faithful and have believed God and caught on to what God wants to do and have dedicated themselves and have come into this realm of the heavenlies. Only a handful of people. Do you know that at all these people, you know how many envelopes come in on a Sunday morning? or Sunday period, not even Sunday morning, including Sunday night, out of 1,800 people, only about 350 envelopes, tithing envelopes, come in on a Sunday. Now you add it up, that means that how many other people, that's not even half 
of the amount of people that we have that are faithful and consistent tithers. So what is that telling us? There are some of you that fall into that category right here. Some of you that never really consistently picked up a tithing envelope and given what belongs to God. You know what I've learned a long time ago? If I'm going to trust God to bless me, i got to be faithful to him. If I'm going to get into that, health, into that realm of the heavenlies, then I must at least be faithful, even in the smallest sense of my finances, in the very least that we could give God, is a tithe. You know what a tithe is? A tithe is you keeping 90% and giving him 10. Now that's a gracious God, isn't it, huh? He owns everything, everything that you have, really, he owns it. But he's saying, mira, te voy a una quebrada, I'll give you a break. You stay with 90 and just give me 10. And there's some of you that still change him and rob him of his 10. Some people ease their conscience and they take a little envelope. I love you, Jesus. They made about 300 bucks or 500 bucks that week. Here's a little pesito, a little dollar, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God. Lord, heal my family. Here, Lord. It's, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? Isn't it shocking? And there are some of you that are here this morning that are guilty of it. And I'm just using an example. I'm not speaking on finances. But I'm using an example. This is a pretty good example to gauge where is our commitment. Where is your pocketbook? Is your pocketbook in God or is your pocketbook? Could you not trust him with just 10% of your income? But I'll tell you, I found out long ago, man, I don't touch that. That's sacred, man. I, I don't even take it in my hands. I tell my treasurer, the treasurer, I say, as soon as you give us our check, take out the tithes before you even. I don't even want to touch the tithes. And then even above that, I've learned that a long time ago. So praise God, as you begin to learn that, then tithes is easy for me. Then I, even double tithes is easy sometimes. Then giving offerings is easy. And before you know it, you're living in the realm of the supernatural. Because you've seen God be faithful, and you've seen him over and over that you step out by faith. He is a faithful and true God. He says, prove me now, here which saith God, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. The problem is you haven't proved him. And this morning, I believe the Holy Ghost is speaking to many of you. So there are blessings that the Lord wants to give you. And the only way we could tap those blessings is not in the earthly, but it's in the heavenlies. And if you always, you know, we try to rationalize everything. There's some people that are always looking for excuses not to do what God wants them to do. Negative, critical spirit. Criticize this, criticize that, criticize this other. Their mind is constantly criticizing, but they're not taking a look at themselves and see how polluted they are. And how God wants to cleanse them and purify them and elevate them into the realm of the heavenlies. But this is what God wants to do with you. God wants to shake you up. God wants to turn you upside down. God wants to revolutionize you. And God wants to make you into a spiritual giant. So that you could tap into the resources that are yours in God. Then last of all, how does this happen? Very easy. It is in Christ. That's the key of it all. And it says it over here, in Christ Jesus. All these blessings are because we are in Christ Jesus. And you're in Christ this morning, and I'm in Christ this morning, and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ.
And all the blessings that are recorded in the word of God are at our fingertips. And all he's waiting for us to do is to take possession of them. To know and know our place within the heavenlies and know that we're also in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus and begin to tap into the resources that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now this morning, if somehow you haven't been living, you've been living in the natural and you haven't come to that place of the supernatural and trusting God, I'm going to ask you to trust God. Even those that are in the ministry, I'm speaking to people that are in the ministry this morning. You know that I, some of the guys that have gone out, the guys that haven't learned faith in our church have gone out and they struggle. I know a young man right now, boy, he's always been tight, tight. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.